This is the Inside Track podcast by the BVRLA. Join us as we speak to high-profile guests from across rental, leasing and fleet as they discuss their careers, react to the latest news and look at what may be coming in the future. There's a lot going on in the press um, around 2030 and the shift to 2035 and the announcement that Rishi Sunak made last year. So the BVRLA thought it'd be great to get two real experts on the topic at the forefront of our transition uh, as a sector to decarbonize transport to have a conversation about what they're thinking, what they're hearing. Does this make a big impact uh, or doesn't it? Um, so we have two people with us today and I'm just going to ask them to introduce themselves and then we're going to have a bit of a free-flowing discussion around where we see this going, what we think this all means. So if you want to start, Claire. Yeah, because thanks, Tom. Uh, so I'm Claire Evans and I'm Fleet Consultants, the director for Zenith. Uh, so for those of you that don't know Zenith, we manage about 170,000 vehicles and that's from car all the way up to Tricom. And Tim? Yeah, I'm the Fleet Director for UK and I for the Ready Northgate Group. Um, that includes the Northgate and Auxilis brands for cars and vans, big car uh, van uh, element in that, obviously. Um, and... Um, we're one of the largest rental providers uh, in Europe of, of commercial vehicles. Brilliant. So I think the place to start is always sort of at the beginning. What was your first reaction, Claire, to Rishi Sunak's speech last week? Yeah, um, I guess if I look at it with my sort of car hat on, it, it was a bit of a non-event, really. I know it was very much talked about in the national media, but when we talk to our customers that run company coffees, it doesn't change anything for them. They have their own trajectories in terms of the sustainability agendas. You know, from a company car perspective, salary sacrifice perspective, I mean, making great inroads into that transition piece. So, I mean, our own fleet now of unfunded fleet of cars is over 40% electric. And the announcement itself didn't change any policy that is... Uh, helping drivers go into electric vehicles. The benefit and kind rates are still there. Um, we've got the charge plant regulations, which are you know going to support that user experience. I'm sure we'll come on to discuss it, but you know we're expecting with the ZEV mandate that will assure up supply. Um, and then you couple that with the OEM agenda, which is really to produce electric vehicles or plug-in vehicles. I mean, I think it was only recently Nissan have come out to say that by 2030, they're going to have a fleet of only EVs and hybrid cars. Volvo have already made that commitment to be pure EV by 2030. So if you're making a decision today to say, should I get an EV? Does Rishi's announcement last week change your mind? I'd say it doesn't. And, and that's the noise that we're hearing, really. Fascinating. And Tim, from a van perspective, it, it, the transition is not going quite as smoothly. From both the wearing the rental hat and the van hat, things are harder. And we've certainly this year started to see the van transition have a few wobbles. You know, market share of, of zero emission products that has really been struggling. What was, what was the reaction from your side? Yeah, so from a car perspective, similar similar to, to, to Claire's, but from a, from a van perspective, I think it was a combination of, um, okay, did feel that that was inevitable at some point because because van development electric van development is so far behind mm. um and uh it was it felt there was a degree of inevitability about pulling this back because it, 
the, the 2030 to 2035 allowances for hybrid vehicles, really. And mm. there just aren't any. <laughs> there aren't any commercial vehicles. There are a couple of range extended vehicles that, but, but in, you know, manufacturers are not going to be developing these things. So, um, it, it, it felt like there was a degree of inevitability to it, but, but from a, from a customer perspective, our customers have invested heavily in supporting decarbonization and um, making plans for the future. Um, now, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of infrastructure and a number of operational blockers, but, you know, we were kind of, we were expecting to get more support rather than just move the goalposts. Um, yeah. And, and there are a number of knock on impacts that are of a concern uh, as a result of this. Um, so, in one part, it was kind of inevitable, I think, um, that that this would this would come about. Um, and I have to say, I agree with Claire. I don't think it actually makes that much difference on the car side because the the one thing that's incentivizing is BIK, and and it will continue to do so. Yeah, I mean, I do wonder why the announcement was made now. Well, I say I wonder, but in terms of the the impact, uh, <laughs> because seven years is. No, it's still a long way away. If you go back seven years, uh, I think less than 1% of cars on the roads were electric. I think there's about 10,000 registrations when you go back to back seven years. We've come an awful long way in seven years' time. And, you know, when you shift the goalposts that far in advance, like Tim was just saying, the impact that really is to discourage investment in things that you need in terms of the charging infrastructure and everything else that sits alongside it. So it, it did seem a slight odd move to make that investment now when it wasn't going to change people's behaviour today. I wasn't going to impact those fleets that can't transition today. Um, and maybe it could have been something that they kept under under consideration, I guess. And if at the time when we got closer to 2030, it was going to be trickier for some of those use cases, completely agree with Tim that there are some difficulties out there for larger vans, for specific use cases operating in specific areas that maybe need to rely on that public network. But I'm not sure moving that goalpost now makes you know any difference to people again today because you, you make a decision on what vehicle is best for your purpose at the time you need to change that vehicle really i think one thing to add to that is that if you you know the seven years is a good point because if you've got people buying now they've probably got one full site life yes. cycle first life cycle before they got to 2030 they've now got 12 years so there's potentially three life cycles in there that they could have three more four-year life cycles of new new commercial vehicles um and pushed into them into the used market so you've got all of that You've got a lot of decisions need to be made now that might be detrimental to decarbonisation. And are you? I mean, talking to some of the the, the van fleets, etc., and the concerns folks had, by especially about that sort of de facto twenty thirty deadline, where as cars had the twenty thirty five, where everything was basically going to need to be electric by by twenty thirty for vans. The, the real concerns. Has there been a little bit of a sigh of relief? And, but has that side of relief, or if there has been any release of pressure, has that turned into people sort of not paying as much attention to the issue? Has it changed? What is the perception impact? I guess is what I'm, I'm trying I to. Don't, I don't think there's been a sigh of relief because people who believed in it had had cracked on with with yeah. working on it, and it had, had spent a lot of money investing. Those who had kind of decried the whole move away from diesel uh, are, are pointing to the fact that. 
Show me fit for product, fit for purpose product. Show me one that's a fit for purpose product at the same price. Mm-hmm. Neither of which is the case. There are very few fit for purpose um, products that are out there, um, and you know, the, there's going to be still some evolution uh, of, of the vehicles uh, to come. So. I don't think it was a sigh of relief necessarily. Um, there was a kind of a shrug of the shoulders. I think most people were saying, well, kind of they thought it was inevitable. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And sentiment from individuals, if we if we do now have a slightly pushed back uh, timeline, but the ZEV mandate remains with an 80% requirement for cars in 2030 and 70% requirement for vans, how does this really actually change the picture from what you're doing right now versus what you're doing next year? Yeah, well, and that's it, does it? It, it, it? I don't think it does. So, so that's what I mean. I don't think it changes anything massively. I guess it's more general perception piece. So mm. there's Rishi coming out so publicly saying that we need to you know, move that date back five years. Is it giving that message that you know, we're not ready for EVs. Um, but we've not seen that either. So, you know, there could have been an initial knee-jerk reaction um, to the sales of used vehicles, for example, but there's, yeah. that, that's not happened. We've not, we've certainly not experienced that. So the the people that are say we're looking at vehicles are still going ahead and operating in the same way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, hopefully it doesn't dent confidence in EV as a product, uh, particularly in car space, I don't think it does. I think for van space, it it, it buys some time. But like I say, having that sort of 70% was a bit of a cutoff for vans uh, because of the lack of product. What's the 30% going to be if it's not going to be electric? <laughs> exactly. Um, so, it, you know, it gives you that space. But, I, you know, I think as a, a country and personally, you know, I've been really proud of how we've led the way in this space. Uh, and it just it it's a bit of a backward step globally to position ourselves as needing to defer five years when really people are going to carry on with those behaviors and the narrative around our transition i really hope doesn't change and, and doesn't need to change because of this and it's just those pragmatic measures for van fleets that are going to be the be- you know the benefit rather than it didn't in consumer confidence. So, and maybe it's actually cleared up some information or misinformation as well. Like I think there was a perception that people would need to be out of their electric vehicles by, I'm sorry, out of their diesels by 2030. Whereas obviously we know that people can run their petrol and diesels for as long as these vehicles last. And so hopefully it will help general perception of what these dates were outside of a fleet environment. And I think oh, it's an important one is, 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 how the infrastructure investment um, changes as a result, because while 2030 was there and okay, it moves to 2035, it's what expected from a commercial vehicle perspective, but having the pressure on for 2030 to make sure the infrastructure uh, is there to support it. And we've talked about it and we've, it's been raised many, many times and, and, it, and it's spoken a lot. The infrastructure, infrastructure is nowhere near. Does this extra five years um, give uh, infrastructure investment a bigger challenge does do people feel that they can well we can slow down um investment now um do 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 we need to do we need to spend so much now we can spread that over an an extra five years Mm -hmm. to get there 
Um, will local councils take a slightly different approach and slow that down? Will they slow down the, the you know, we talked to them about trying to have van-sized parking bays mm. for, for charging, which nobody seems to be able to do. Um, I'm also conscious of the fact that we've 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 been training all of our technicians in all our workshops on on electric um, charging uh, vehicles, um, how they cope with that, um, what what the processes are, how they do it safely. Um, it, likewise, in our in our body shop business, training them on how to repair them. Um, does the delay? mean that by the time we actually get to a full mandated electric market meaning that all that training that we've done is already forgotten about now or do we just keep retraining for an extra five years as it slowly grows now i guess i'm hoping tim uh, my hope would be that that that's what the zev mandate is sort of there for yeah. overlaying this it's yeah. to give those percentages that are guaranteed new registrations of evs um and so for things like you know the support network the maintenance the development in that space for uh, a mixture of public and private charge point investment especially from a, a private perspective it's if you put in that money into charge points you know that there's going to be return on that investment that yeah. you're making and i think the zev mandate does serve its purpose there for yeah. some of those investment decisions um so, you know, hopefully that will give assurances in that space. Uh, it, and exactly, obviously yeah, that developer, that, that you rightly point out, it's, is needed and needs to ramp up. Exactly. And that's what we're pitting our hopes on. <laughs> yeah. So if you have a, a situation where you've got the ZEV mandate ensuring a transition and sort of that, that up, upswell in, in, in uptake and you've got the deadline now being a little bit looser, for, which allows vans to have the flexibility they need. That... To me, all sounds actually quite positive. Sounds that that's uh, a, 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 a pragmatic change. One of the things that's been striking across the year has been the negativity around electric vehicles in the press. We've had a lot of really quite negative stories. Would a silver lining of this mean that people are less negative in the press because there's been a big announcement, a big public announcement that we've pushed back the goals? Or do we think that's not going to give up, that there's some sort of fundamental... Uh, resistance to the transition, which we are could could elicit potentially further compromises later I, down the road. I can give you an anecdotal an anecdotal response, please, and and it's just from my my personal experience because people know I work in 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 the fleet industry, and people who are not in this industry, you know, friends, neighbours, whoever, family members, the number of people who talk to me about it and say, "So, electric cars are they really going to happen?" and I just look <laughs> at them stunned. At this question, I think I cannot believe you're asking this question. Of course, they're going to happen. How can you? Uh, I can't believe they're so blind. I'm not so sure. I am quite so confident in in my shop anymore because yeah. you know we're now we're now we're now 12 years away, and um, hopefully it's still in my lifetime. But you know what I mean. It, it's it's uh, it, it, would my sh look of shock and horror be just a shrug of the shoulders now? It, you know I. That's where I'm coming from. And they, you know, I'd be telling people it's happening, it's happening, it's happening. You know, we've got a deadline of 2030. Yeah, no, we don't. <laughs> yeah. I, I fundamentally believe that it's the right way to go. I fundamentally believe that it's not going to make any difference for all the reasons we've talked about already. I think it's the right thing to do for vans. I think it won't make a difference to cars. But there's just this 
thin end of the wedge that kind of delays it. You think, well, what else is going on in the background? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that could that could certainly be more information sharing more widely on EVs and to get over the sensationalist stories. You know, you you go down to Cornwall on a Easter weekend and you're queuing everywhere for a charge. But, you know, it's those kind of stories that the media pick up on. And, and sometimes that's all people see. And I think there's definitely a need to, I guess, educate really that EVs are here. They work for a lot of people, particularly in car space. They, you know, they are quite commonplace now on the road. So I'm no longer the only sort of Tesla that drives down to the village where I'm from in in, in Wales anymore. And all the children want to come and see the Tesla, that's for certain. So, um, yeah, I mean, the the media stance on it, I, I don't know if it's going to make much difference here. Um, I think, you know, we've all sort of got a bit to play to promote them. And the more vehicles there are on the road, the more hopefully those conversations you're having, Tim, you know, people will start to see more EVs out there and seriously start to consider it. And I think as the costs are coming down, or as the costs come down, there's more vehicles available in the secondhand market, as well as they turn another life cycle again. So they maybe go through the second or the third ownership but, um, and become more affordable. Uh, I think people will you know, start to see this, you know, this is something that's happening and it's it's available to everybody. And I think that's the problem at the minute. It's maybe quite in a niche space. So it's not, you know, everybody's, for someone that always buys a five-year-old vehicle, they might not be considering an EV yet, you know, five-year-old, yeah. 10-year-old vehicle, but it will get there and it will certainly get there in the next sort of five, 10 years. So, yeah. And I guess then, that sort of getting there in the next five, five, ten years. Tim, how do we keep up the momentum with, with uh, especially with fan fleets and your customers, and sort of make sure that they are using any sort of breathing space this creates to to lay the groundwork so that when it really bites, they're able to they're able to follow through. Because there seems to be to me a uh, a real positivity, massive energy from our sector around decarbonisation. But that's not necessarily echoed everywhere, just as uh, just as you've been saying. So how can we make sure that everyone, that we keep banging the drum in a way that is uh, understandable and uh, approachable and, and, and the message lands with those customers, especially on the van side, who, as you say, this might have, might have been almost a sort of something which was seen as inevitable and, and required. But that's the point. It, it was seen as inevitable and required. And it's still inevitable and required. Okay. Yes. It's still, it's still inevitable and required. And when we talk to our customers about the trajectory, we really talk about 2035 and really believe that's where it's going to be. And hey ho, there we are. So, um, you know, the, the conversations carry on. Um, mm. We have our charging infrastructure business that will help support that. You've got to take a consultancy type approach, as a number of, of, of the BBRA's members do. Um, and to support their customers in, in in understanding and getting over the line. Lots and lots of different ways of doing that um, uh, to help them understand whether their vehicle is is suitable, uh, their their van is suitable for for to switch to EV. Um, I think the engagement with with um, manufacturers as well is an important one for all of us to keep pushing them to to come up with fit fit for purpose uh, products. Um, yeah. That will that will come over time. Um, 
Whether electric vehicles are the solution for the heavier vans remains to be seen. Um, there's now some additional time to, to, to develop there as well. Um, so that will work. Um, the, I think there's, there's more to be heard from the manufacturers on these e-fuels that they've uh, had added into their own rules for 2035 um, uh, in, in Europe. Uh, they are very, very expensive, um, and it's, that's a very complex piece, and deployment is, again, another challenging one. Um, it, to be frank, it's 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 carrying on what we're doing, It's because yeah. it, it's still inevitable. It's still going to happen, so we still have to do it. Plus, a lot of these companies are, there are a lot of PLCs out there that are required from a, from a yep. Um, um, a, a reporting uh, perspective, um, and let's be frank: a lot of people who historically had sort of seen these as a, these things as a green issue, and they, you know, it was a tick box exercise. That's no longer the case. Everyone's treating this very, very seriously and really dealing with it, and really approaching it with the right. You know, it's removing greenhouse gases, yeah. leaving a planet behind for our children and our grandchildren, um, and and people are taking it seriously. And the younger generation are pushing us to as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, what Tim sort of said there at the start, all the businesses we work with, they have a transition plan in place. You know, they, they're they thinking, they're not thinking just about what vehicle they get today. They're thinking about what's their sustainability strategy overall and how do they get there? And that could be net zero by 2040, by 2030. Some of our fleets have timelines, some of our van fleets have timelines where they currently all EV on a replacement perspective. And, you know, they are finding ways to make that work. And they had times, their own time skills in place that weren't governed by the 2030, 2035 and, and, and wanted to transition before. And it really is about us working with them on product, on the infrastructure that they need. And that's so critical, isn't it, Tim, for vans? It's yeah. not just yeah. about the van. It's how are you going to charge that and what's the cost of doing that and the cost of the transition. But, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're all working collaboratively with customers to help on that whole ecosystem of transition that says, how can you transition your fleet, which is a workhorse for you, to do the job it needs to do in the most sustainable way possible, and, that, and that's why no one's sort of changing their emphasis on this. No one's looking yeah. at it going, oh, you know, isn't it great? I'm needing to run my diesel for longer. It's like, I still want to transition as quickly as I can, but it has to be practical. And so, you know, we're all still working along those lines. So, One of the things that, that strikes me in our recently published Road to Zero report card, which sort of looks at the, the state of the, the transition as it is right now, is that... Even if we move back the date, even if we bring in a ZEV mandate with sort of 80% for cars in 2030 and 70% for vans, incentives still matter. You mentioned Vic, uh, Claire, and, and Tim, I know we've spoken before about uh, having a, a support for the van market to make sure it happens. It, it feels to me like that's the conversation which we can't drop as a, as a sector. Is that yeah. Yes, you might change the, 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 the deadlines, you might bring in a mandate, but we're still going to need help to make us get this over line you were saying you need a fit for purpose product which is also cost comparable and we're not quite there yet so i don't know what are we thinking is is this more need than ever to to, to keep that pressure up on incentives to i think i think it doesn't change our approach and i think we need to just keep pushing as as we have done 
the manufacturers will develop. They're not going to slow down development just because Rishi said we're going to push it back five years because yeah. the European one hasn't changed at all. Uh, you know, globally, those manufacturers will carry on doing what they need to do for all the right reasons. And so I, I don't see this impacting on them at all. Yeah. So so we need to keep pushing uh, exactly as we have been to make sure that, you know, cars are getting closer in, in terms of price parity. Not there yet, clearly, but it's it's starting to improve. And vans, once we have a fit for purpose product, will no doubt follow suit. Yeah. And hopefully we can have that 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 funded in some way. I mean, Beck has been so fundamental to the to to this transition. We need to make sure that other parts of the market, rental, uh, the used market, etc., have similar levels of support where they need them. I know that's something which has been a concern for you, Claire. Yeah, I um, I think because we've seen firsthand that when you've got good policy in place the behaviours it can drive and it's, yes. it's been incredibly successful. You know, salary sacrifice fleets now are, you know, over eighty percent EVs. You know, it's it's been a a really way a great way to democratise access to EVs for a number of people through tax incentives. And I, I guess what we'd be looking for is a clear roadmap of what structures look like going forwards. And there's yes. still some question marks out there in terms of things like road pricing and how they bridge that um there's a 25 billion gap in fuel duty and and what's to come you know from that uh, and i think everybody is just certainty is great right you want certainty in cost certainty of product and you want to know that you're making an investment so on really sound knowledge and that things aren't going to change overnight for you so um yeah like it's we need the right policy and structures and support structures to remain in place for each element as it's required, and then it can drop off as is you know as is required. Like they removed the grant from cars when they've they've you know, kept the benefit in kind in, they've removed the grant, they've transferred that fund into vans, um, mm. and I just think it's important to really keep the conversation going, and we're at the forefront of reaction to any change in policy. So if we're um, acting in the role we should be as, um, you know, advisors in this space, we can hopefully shape government in whatever format that takes over the next seven years to give the right support to this transition and make sure it's top of the agenda because, you know, it, it really is such an important agenda item in terms of clean air. It's, it's you know, it's yeah. as high up as it can be in terms of importance and has so many benefits uh, that, we, you know, we talk about vehicles on the street, but, you know, the, the impact of this is is on people's lives and yeah. it's it's an important agenda that we should continue to push with everything we can for the support that's needed to make the transition in the right way for everybody. On that note, we are fast running down the clock of your time that you kindly allocated us. So I'm going to ask one last question, which is, I've got a lot of uh, messages and emails and calls from members saying, you know, what does this all mean? What What's happening? Give us some, give us some clarity and sort of give us some direction. What is your sort of one line takeaway, not just from this announcement, but just sort of about where we are right now and what we need to be doing as a sector as, as short 
as long as you want, but just if you're 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 single insight in insight that you think this you know colleagues across the sector should be hearing. So I'll I'll give you the hard one, Tim. You can start. Um, uh, no, no, has I a bit more time to think. Just just no, just a, listen. A simple one either is keep calm and carry on. Uh, really, just we've Are got. You stole my line, Tim. You stole no, my sorry, line. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah um, it. I mean, it absolutely is because. The deadline for internal combustion engines was 2035. Today, the deadline for internal combustion engines is 2035. Yeah. So, keep going, carry on. You, yeah, maybe if I can leave you with, um, I guess, uh, one thing we've not talked about, I guess, really is when people are in EVs, be it a van or a cab, they love they love them. They like driving them. Uh, we put a survey out earlier this year, our EV experience report, well, we went out to over 3,000 drivers of EVs and 87, 86, 87% came back to say that they wouldn't go back to driving a petrol and diesel. So, you know, I won't do the keep calm, carry on, but maybe make hay while the sun shines. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, thank you so much both to, uh, for making some time for us to have a chat. Uh, it's really, really appreciated. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you click the subscribe button. Please leave a rating or review and feel free to share this on your social platforms.